1: This is a podcast from Minute Media.
0: Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm Lucas, I got Christian Uriah here. We are recording after the Philadelphia 76ers. I, I would say important win against the Cleveland Cavaliers, guys.
2: Very exciting game. Yeah, pretty big win. 112-108 was the final score. Joel making, you know, a last great push for MVP perhaps. 44 points, 17 rebounds, 5 blocks, only 3 turnovers in this game. 21 points, 10 rebounds, 10 assists for James Harden. Lucas, 4-0 season sweep of Cleveland. The Sixers have handled this team pretty well all season. Obviously, no Jared Allen or Evan Mobley in this game. What were some of your big takeaways? So many. Let's just start out with uh,
1: Embiid here. Chris, this is his 11th 40-point game, 10-plus rebound game of the regular season. He only trails now Moses Malone and Russell Westbrook, two former MVPs. I think those were the seasons that they won the MVP to. I'm not sure on that. Don't quote me on that part. But they both had a 12, 40, and 10 games in the regular season. Joel's only one away from that. The Sixers still have plenty of games to go. Could Joel get two more? Possibly. And that would make a very strong case, like you said. In the way that I liked how he dominated the game towards the end, instead of going for the mid-range or the three-pointers, he got inside and he bullied Lowry Markadon and Lamar Stevens inside. And I loved every second of that. Outside of that, James Harden, another triple-double, 21-10-10, and 10. Uh, very good game passing from him. Yet again, struggled from the field shooting. But you know what? Made some timely free throws at the end. And I got to give this uh, – your is on the podcast, but he he is – he's going to love what I'm about to say here. got to give Matisse thibault his flowers because that steal against Darius Garland in the last w- within the last 10 seconds of the game sealed the deal for the Sixers. And that's why you got to play him in crunch time sometimes, Chris. I know you're not a big fan, but on defensive possessions like that, you have to.
2: Oh yeah, of course. I don't think I've ever said they need to take him out for the defensive possession. Yeah. I mean, look, this was a, a game where really, frankly, Joel was, and James were kind of the only guys who showed up for long stretches Um. You know, it was a very Sixers game in the sense that they were kind of up and down. They had some pretty sloppy stretches, you know, mixed in with some pretty impressive runs. Um, It was back and forth for a lot of the – all the way down to the end, frankly. Um, Cleveland really competed. Darius Garland hit some huge shots. They got a lot of contributions around that roster. Um, You know, it was a really well-fought game on their part. But Joel was just too much for them down the stretch. You know, 44 points, 17 rebounds, five blocks. He did it on both sides of the ball. This is a pretty good game to illustrate just how valuable Embiid is to the Sixers. Like you said, Harden still just kind of missing shots. I I, I mean, I I don't really know how much you can worry about that. He's missing a lot of shots that normally we can expect to, like, go in. It seems like some sort of regression to the mean would be expected in the future. So... Even with his missed shots, even with some ugly possessions, again, like 21-point triple-double, pretty efficient overall, got to the line a bunch, made some really brilliant passes, obviously helped the Sixers in a big way in this game, so it's hard to complain too much. Um, That being said, Lucas, do you you have any concerns with Howden at this point?
1: I'm concerned that he's not healthy. I don't think that he's injured. I, I you know, I don't think that he's lost a step permanently. Because you look at it those first 5 games back before he sat out against Miami the first time. He was looking like the James Harden from Houston in terms of his efficiency, right? He misses that first game that he played at, with the Sixers against the Miami when they were in Miami. And then since then Chris his shooting has gone down drastically. And so I, I do think the hamstring is not healthy. They can say what they want, but he's clearly not healthy. He's playing through this. I give him credit for that. I, I don't think he's going to have a chance to get it healthy. I mean, he almost took off a whole month to get it healthy for the Sixers for that five-game stretch. I, I think he's going to need the off season to get very healthy and get it right. Because hamstrings are tricky injuries that can last a very long time. We're seeing it now with Harden, but in terms of like, he's figuring out other ways to impact the game with his rebounding and his assist and just he's making, actually, I would say this is the most defense I've seen James Harden play ever to be honest with you. So yeah, I I would say that James Harden is doing what he can considering his, I I would suspect injury limitations. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I agree. I don't, think he's a hundred percent either. I think if there's any hope that he gets close to a hundred percent, like you said, it'll have to be once he has an entire off season to rest and recuperate. He didn't really have that last summer for various reasons, didn't really have a chance to you know rehab properly that hamstring. So this has just kind of been a lingering issue for him. He like he looks like the James Harden we saw in Brooklyn all season. this This really isn't new, obviously. You know, I I hate to see it, like, it was the Knicks, but, like, a couple honeymoon games against the Knicks probably aren't the best barometer for what you're going to get from a guy. Um, On the whole, like, he's clearly been a major positive for this team. Anyone painting it otherwise is being a bit disingenuous, I think. He's obviously helped the team win games, and he's clearly an upgrade over Seth Curry in that spot in the rotation. So there are definite concerns. He's slower. Some of his decision-making late in games when he tries to, to, you know, do the ISO stuff doesn't always work out as well as it used to. There's some moments where it gets really rough, but there's been an equal amount of moments where like his brilliance and his basketball IQ shines through and he's making things go smoother than they ever have with Embiid on the floor. And he's opening up a ton for Embiid out of those pick and rolls. Those are the easiest buckets Embiid has gotten in his entire career. Um, Their chemistry has come along pretty quickly so I, I'm not super concerned about it. Obviously if you're paying him a large sum of money in the offseason, you should be somewhat concerned about it. But um, you know, he's making a concerted effort to fit in with his teammates and to elevate the guys with him on the roster. He keeps he says all the right things. Like you said, he's competing on defense. There's not a lot more you can ask from the guy. Um that that, that that's within reason. I, I don't think he's taking possessions off offensively or anything. He's not the James Harden from Houston. I I would predict that he's probably never going to get back to that level of, I don't know how to describe it. Like Are you going to say, that- let me jump in, guys, and let okay, me give okay. you
0: some perspective that Tim Legler was on 97.5 The Fanatic on Friday, and he was expressing concerns similar to what Lucas was saying. And And I don't think anybody is denying what you're saying, Chris, which is, He's a huge upgrade. He's made really valuable contributions. He's seemed to unlock Thibel in in certain aspects offensively. Like you said, Chris, um, Embiid is getting easier shots. Like The pick and roll is is really working well, and they're going to get better. But in terms of his injury, even if he's not really hampered as much by calf injury or, or a nagging hamstring, Legs was saying that as Harden ages and loses a little bit of athleticism, even if he loses like 10 percent of his athleticism and maybe a little burst that he used to have. He said that it basically means that, let's say, 30 players in the NBA now are going to be guarding him that much better. Just like a 10 percent loss of athleticism. And you saw it tonight. Harden was really working hard just to get by marketing two years ago. That wasn't happening. So I, I agree that he is making valuable contributions since he's been here. I, I do think he probably has some issues with the with hammy,
2: like Lucas said. He's he has lost ten percent of his burst from Houston. Like that, that's out the window already, I think. Like he's like a top thirty player instead of a top three player. I I think that's kind of like where we have to reset our expectations. Um, he's, he's an all-star. He's 10. He's probably like a 25. And he's an all-star instead of an MVP. Like, it's that yeah. kind of shift. But he's still doing a lot for the team. If you can put better players around them in the offseason, it should make things a little bit easier. Um, that's going to be a like, big task. Daryl Murray. like you've said, Lucas, many times, he doesn't have a ton of financial flexibility. You can't just move off of Tobias for more bad contracts necessarily. So it'll be tricky. We'll see if Bradley Beal like actually comes, you know, there's a lot of stuff up in the air there, but.
0: Um... Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this real quick. So we've seen how Chris Paul went to Phoenix and even though he's older than James Harden, he's still playing at a very high level efficiently and you look mm-hmm. at his mid range game and, and how he just seems to make all the right decisions and, and get to spots and just be a, a top player, even at 36 37. Do you think James Harden can modify his game?
1: Like, yeah, that, that's actually who I was thinking of. And what I was going to say is that if he can model his game about his Chris Paul was like a 20 point per game scorer in his prime. And still like averaging 11 assists. Now, granted, he's not the score that James Harden was, but now later on in his career, he's brought that down to like 15, 14 points per game. And if Harden becomes a fast pass first facilitator like Chris Paul, which I'm not saying that he's as good of as a passer as Chris Paul, because there's very few that are as good, if not better, um, but. If he can embrace that point guard, you know, pass-first mentality and average 10 to 11 assists a game and shoot 18 to 20 points per game on efficient shooting, I would take that anytime. Like And, and I, I think for his health, and, you know, it's a big part of his game, but let's be real, guys, he has to stop foul hunting. He's not going to... His body's not going to hold up if he keeps on getting pounded, going to the basket eight or nine times a game. Like He has to slow it down now, and he has to start thinking about different ways, like attacking the mid-range like Chris Paul does. We I, He has the shot. He doesn't take it very often, but he has the touch for the mid-range. He needs to start doing that more often and just becoming that primary facilitator. That's how yeah. he's going to extend yeah. his career in Uriah.
2: I mean, like, clearly Harden has to reset his own expectations to a certain degree. He has to adjust and change. I I don't think Chris Paul is, like, a fair comparison just because they're very different stylistically in how they play. And I I just don't know if it's... Both are pick-and-roll heavy. But they're so different in how they use pick-and-rolls and and how they play the game, like, pace-wise. Harden's been, like, a super strong, like, Ferrari who just gets downhill and... Well, that's the part of him. his game that's going to have to change, though. Chris. I know, that's but what I'm like, that's never been how Chris Paul plays. They're just different. They don't, they're do not they not the same kind of point guard. And I, I don't think it's fair to expect James to be Chris Paul because, like, no one is Chris
1: Paul. i would be Chris Paul, but model the, you know, pass-first approach.
2: Yeah, well, well, I mean, that's really what he's been doing. He's been a pass-first player in Philly so far, for the most part,
1: like... Well, um, what I'm saying is now you have to work on that efficiency and that means maybe he, working he's... the mid-range more and not, you know, working the floater more. Like that that blow-by by my, by marketing, let's be real, if it was two or three years ago, he probably would have tried to go to the foul line. But this time he won with the and it worked. And you're right, I think we have talked about that on your clubhouse the other day too. So I, I think, you know, embracing the floater, embracing the mid-range is the best chance for... Harden to extend his career by not putting his body on the line, by driving to the basket as often. Well, he has to do something.
0: He has to do something. You look at Kobe, you look at Michael Jordan. They weren't point guards, LeBron. obviously. But in LeBron, too, all three of those great players were able to change their game to the point where they're still effective.
1: Kobe and um, Jordan became post-up players. LeBron right. became a three-point shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I also like
2: Kobe and Jordan were very different eras of basketball than what we're seeing. Okay. LeBron's not. LeBron is like a a lifetime athlete. LeBron is still jumping. Okay. Let's, yeah, let's look at
1: Rondo. Rondo was a terrible three point shooter. Now he's he's, he's he's
2: shooting from 30. Rondo is a (laughs) below average backup point guard, though. So it's like kind of a bad. Okay, but, let's. Well, you know, let's. Who who would you compare? What type of probably player get would you try to compare cards to? That's
0: a good question. Who would you compare, Chris?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. He's a pretty singular player. We we just don't have a lot of guys who play like him. Because right Williams, now he's on a risky path of going down the AI right. Westbrook path, or or like I, I even think that's ridiculous. like this, uh, Westbrook. Frankly, plays the game like an idiot half the time. Harden is <laughs> not an idiot. So, okay, I, I don't okay. not think we're going to have a thing. That's, that's scary. Harden's efficiency in Philly so far has been really high because he gets the foul line a lot and he gets easy buckets. I, I know the field goal percentage doesn't look great, but, like, efficiency, his effective field goal percentage and all that stuff is really high. He's finishing pretty well at the rim still. He needs to do <laughs> the floater more. He needs to adjust more as, as like an off-ball shooter, relocating, stuff like that. He needs to get better. He needs to change. But I, you don't need to compare him to other people. That, it's like, no, I think, but what I'm saying great. is if he adds the mid-range shot like these other
1: guys, that will prolong his career more and keep him at that all-star level longer. Like, I know the yeah, mid-range yeah, sure. is not the sexy that's shot, Chris. True. It's not the sexy shot. And yeah, he doesn't really take many of them, but he has the capability of, to knock them down.
0: Yeah, that's. I don't think that's too much to implement, and it's not like it has to be a major focal point of how he gets offense. But yeah, he has the the right shooting motion. It's not like trying to get Ben Simmons to shoot a mid ranger.
1: Uh,
2: I'm not arguing uh, like against the mid ranger or anything. I'm just saying like trying to compare and and CP3 and LeBron and stuff is just. No, They're no, no. We're just saying
1: we're parents. not comparing. Oh, James Harden has to become like these players. No, well, we're you saying are.
2: that's you're like. Yeah, we're, we're saying, saying that's a Chris Paul's just, game that he has to emulate. I and I just don't know if that's the right way to that's look at it.
1: Similarly to Paul, I'm not saying that he has to become Chris Paul. I'm th- I'm saying taking the same type of steps of making getting your teammates even more involved than in what he already is. Because let's be real, Chris Paul was yes. averaging twenty and ten in his sleep when he was in L.A. But and he can still average 15 and, like, 12 or, like, 15 and 11 now. But the way that he's not, like, pushing his offense is keeping him efficient, and that's what I'm saying. James Harden doesn't need to be pushing his offense anymore. That that might mean less driving to the basket and more mid-rangers.
2: All right, so let's talk about Cleveland now. They're about a game ahead of Atlanta for the eighth seed. Seems like they're going to fall somewhere – in the seven to ten range, ultimately, Lucas, um, do you think there's any chance that team can make noise in the playoffs? I mean, it really just depends on who their first their uh, matchup is. If they stay in the seven eight,
1: I think they have a good chance of getting into the playoffs because even if they lose to Brooklyn in the, in that seven eight matchup, they still have a chance to beat either Atlanta or uh, the Hornets, and that's yeah. you know nine you know in that second play-ins game, and I, I would give the edge to probably Atlanta. to the Cavs at that point.
2: I, I don't know, man. I, I feel like Atlanta's kind of coming on. You know. I, I, I wouldn't man, trust I know. Young. I
1: feel like it's a little bit too little too late
2: now for Atlanta. I, I, I mean, we did... It's basically and they're, the they're still about John Collins, right? It, it's basically the same team that got to the conference finals, and they have Trey Young, who's a super... John
1: Collins hasn't been playing for over a month, man.
2: I, I get it. That matters Barrett Allen is out. Evan Mobley's hurt. The Cavs okay, have been sure. banged up all season. So I I think Trey Young could win that game for Atlanta. Like, I don't think it's a shame. And show. I
1: think Colin Sexton has an equally good chance to win that game for, for the Cavs.
0: Listen, you guys are forgetting about Colin Karis, Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert is a nice – I mean, I know he was out a while, but he seems to light it up. I wish the Sixers had a Karis LeVert, but –
1: uh, Karis LeVert, for every game like he had against the Sixers, he also has like a six for 18 game, too. So let's hold our horses on Karis LeVert. He's he's a good volume shooter, he's an okay volume shooter, but there's a reason why he's not an all star.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, look, Cleveland can make the playoffs. I, I don't think they're doing anything beyond winning a playing game.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, they 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 can win the play in, but I think with all the injuries and just the fact that they fell this far, that means they're going to have to play one of the top teams in the East. And it's just, I don't think they, they're too young and they don't, they don't have enough, enough health. Even if let's just say everybody's healthy, including Colin Sexton, Colin Sexton is not coming back by the way, but they still would, uh, who in the East would you have them, you know, who, who's not in the play and that you would say, okay, this Cavs team could beat them. Maybe Chicago, Maybe Toronto, but the rest of those teams, not a chance.
2: So, yeah, they, they I, I, think they chance I think they win the play spot, and that's about it. Toronto beats Cleveland four games. Like, I, I don't think they have a chance. No. So. I mean, maybe if they have everyone healthy, like you said. But if Toronto's that's what I'm
1: saying, bad. in the ideal situation, maybe. But right now, yeah, you're right. Toronto wins that. In- like, Toronto's Cleveland's, gonna, get, Cleveland's gonna go either four oh like oh four or one five like they're they're not doing anything in the playoffs right now but let's go ahead and switch gears and we're gonna talk about another play in team that the Sixers just played against that's the Charlotte Hornets. Sixers won that in convincing fashion by 30 points, one forty four to one fourteen. Most of the starters were out by the fourth quarter. Joel Embiid had 29 and 14 and six in about 20 31 minutes. Harden had 12, 13, and 8 in about 31 minutes. Maxie had 19. Tobias had 23. Tyball, probably one of his best offensive games, 12 points. And the Bench showed up. Chris, any thoughts
2: on that? Yeah, I, I mean, this is one of the best games of the season for Philly. It's it's nice when guys are hitting all their shots. Um, like you said, just about everyone had a good game. There wasn't really a sore spot that stuck out. DeAndre was like 4-4 four, four from the field. All the bench guys hit shots. James had 13 assists in three quarters. Joel had 29, 14, and 6 in three quarters. Maxie and Tobias came on in the second half. This was one of Theibel's best games offensively. Like, like, just about everything went right. Um, Charlotte, not a great defensive team, so it's not maybe something you should put too much stock into. Um, you know, this was on the heels of getting curb stomped in the fourth quarter by Detroit, so, you know, they're kind of even out, but... Um. Yeah, it was a great win. It, there's a lot of positives to take away from it. Joel and James looked really good together. Tobias and Tyrese looked really good together in those units. So a lot, lot, lot of positive stuff.
1: Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, get Gordon Hayward made his return after missing pretty much a month, but he was a non-factor in this game. And like you said, they're they're a pretty solid offensive team. They have a lot of weapons even coming off the bench. They I think they have one of the better scoring benches in the league in terms of having Kelly Oubre, Montres Harrell, Isaiah Thomas. Like, they have some really good scores. But, like you said, the defense has always been the problem for the Hornets, and that's why after a hot start they kind of tapered off and now they're in the plan. Uh, I think they're in the ninth seed right now against the – nets so that that's that's not a good matchup for anybody i mean it's two high scoring teams so that could be interesting but um i think overall chris it's just yeah i it was the nice to have a nice bounce back win but chris same question different team do the does charlie have any chance of making noise in the playoffs
2: uh, I mean, I think it's pretty much the same answer as Cleveland. Like, they could win a play-in game or two, but I don't think they're going to do much more than that. Um, yeah, the they have to win two play-in games. I yeah. I just don't see that happening for this Hornets team. If it's Brooklyn, I don't think they're going to win that game. If it's Atlanta or Cleveland or whatever, I, I don't know how far Cleveland would have to drop. Like If it's one of those two... they would have to drop
1: significantly right now. Cleveland's at least three games ahead of them in the yeah. win,
2: win column. So it's probably going to be Brooklyn that they have to play by the looks and of it. And they're that's pro- not a game. Yeah, they're probably going to lose um, yeah. that. Really great offensive team when they're clicking. A lot of interesting young talent. Lamello is awesome. Ellis Bridges is awesome. I like a lot of their players, but it's too early. They're They're a few years out from doing anything substantial, mm-hmm. I think. You know
0: that's, who I would love that, to, that's obviously. the that's the play that's sorry Lucas that's the playing game where scary Terry goes off for like forty.
2: He could. Look, if Charlotte knocks Brooklyn out in the playing game, I will be <laughs> over the moon. Should, the can we make a bet about love. this?
0: I don't think the NBA would let that happen. Adam Silver would be on the phone with someone in the beginning of the fourth <laughs> quarter, like shut this down.
1: <laughs> yeah, that would yeah, be well, and, I mean, the Hornets do have the potential to have some really solid defenders. LaMelo, if he actually takes it seriously, could be a good defender. Uh, Miles Bridges is a good defender. P.J. Washington has a chance to be a good one. Gordon Hayward is. Uh, whichever, Martin's on there, he has a good chance. The McDaniels, Cody Martin and McDaniels both could be good defenders. Kelly Uber used to be a really good two-way player. I don't know what's really happened there. I think it's a culture thing in terms of like the coach, and I, I think James Borrego is a good head coach, but he does not preach defense. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think, it, man, let let's be real. If if they can knock out Brooklyn, I think the rest of the Eastern Conference like executives should send Charlie like a thank you card. To be honest, because um, that would be fantastic. Oh yeah, starting like, with the I, Sixers. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, But, yeah, I think we can go ahead and switch gears, Chris.
2: Okay, let's talk about the backup center minutes a little bit. Um, Clearly, as of right now, DeAndre Jordan is kind of entrenched as Joel's backup. I don't think I've interacted with a single Sixers fan who agrees with that choice on Doc Rivers' part. Even if you're, like... Really, not high on Bassie and Reed. It's malpractice, in my opinion, to not even give them a chance. Like, at least try them out. And if they, like, fall flat on their face, then you can go back to DJ and say you tried it. But Jordan's clearly not working. He's a poor defender. He's frankly not giving a ton of effort, it seems like, half the time. Offensively, I, I get the value of having a lob threat, but. Anytime he touches the ball outside of three feet, it's like an automatic turnover and he's doing something n- n- like not smart with it. So I, I I don't really know why we haven't tried anything other than the fact that it's Doc Rivers who is coaching, but Lucas, Paul Reed, Charles Bassey, two guys who have both dominated at the G league level. Bassey had 37 and 26 the other night, I think for Delaware. Paul Reed won G League MVP last year, as we have talked about many times on this podcast. Why are they not getting minutes? Should they get minutes? I know the answer to that, but like, make the case. Why should Paul Reed and Charles Bassett get a chance here?
1: Oh, that's a tough one, guys. I would say, in terms of who I would like to get to see you get more minutes, i I think, I think I'm gonna go with Charles Bassett here. And the reason why is for two reasons. One, I think he plays more similarly to how Joel plays. Because if you look at his G League highlights, which you can look at, I posted a little tweet that has some of them uh, in my most recent article, uh, you know, regarding Bassi. He plays like Joel does. He plays the same way in terms of, like, being able to roll and being able to set screens and how he passes. Like, I like the way that he plays. It's more it mirrors more of what Joel does. And I think he's just he's a better rebounder, in my opinion. And I I just think overall, like I think he's he plays in more control than how Paul Reed plays. And I like Paul Reed. I think he should have a shot too. But if we're talking about somebody that won't make as many mental mistakes as Paul Reed is known to make, I I think my case has to go with Charles Bassey, especially after his 37 and 20. I think it was 23 point game or 22 point game. I mean, 22, 21 rebound game. Sorry. 31, 37 points and 21 rebounds in just 31 minutes for the blue coats. Like guys, that's special right there. So I'm going to have to go. I'm going to go with Bassy on
2: this one. Like that's totally fair. Um, obviously what's really special is winning G league MVP, uh, Look, I, I, the case for Bassey is strong. Frankly, I could sit here and make the case that both of them should play at the same time. I'm willing to do it, but um, I I, I think Paul Reed, just because he has another year under his belt, we know Doc loves experience. And I, I mean, I think Bassey has the chance to be a really special defender. He was like his historically effective rim protector at Western Kentucky. Granted, that was Western Kentucky. But Paul Reed is like pretty much an established quality NBA defender at this point, even though he doesn't really get too many minutes to show it off. Like we know that his capacity for being disruptive and creating chaos is pretty high. Um, like like he has the Robert Covington gene, and that's a gene that I particularly enjoy watching people have. So I I'd go with Paul Reed. I I get it that Bassie's probably a more natural. Fit on paper with James as a guy who rolls to the rim and has pretty good footwork in those situations. Reed can freelance a little bit too much, so I I get where you're coming from, but I I just think Reed's more of a proven entity than Charles is at this point. Not proven, yes, but not that we can't try both, which both should have been given chances at this point. So,
1: what are you saying? George's Niang
2: plays the small ball three of the large three then? No, I, I mean, both should get a chance at the five. We can okay. try multiple options. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I mean, I'd go with Paul Reed just because I'm pretty confident that Paul Reed can do a lot of stuff. You know, he can switch. He can rebound. He, he just hustles. He plays really hard. Not the best he doesn't, but, like, Reed's motor is really special. I, I That's just where my preference is. We haven't seen enough of them to know definitively. Like I, I could be totally wrong. We just haven't seen Bassie enough. What well, we have seen of Bassie, like the five minutes, have been really cool. And it's the same with Reed. Like the twenty minutes we've seen of Reed have been really cool. But here we are with DeAndre Jordan, like mucking up the offense and then standing on the block defensively while six foot three guards get offensive rebounds. So. Mm-hmm. Don't really know what else we can do about it. We can like keep yelling into the void. Um, Doc continues to defend DeAndre whenever he's asked about it. Uh, I think I just read like they were outscored by 11 points in the six minutes that DeAndre played tonight. So it's not ideal, you don't want that. (laughs) Um, So,
1: Chris, I want to stop you there because I want to go back to the Charles Bassey, Paul Reed. There okay, so two things with Reed that I am concerned about. One, and they both go back to his thinner frame. Like Bassie's much more has a much more MBA ready center body. Like Paul Reed has more of a small ball center body, whereas Charles Bassey has a thick MBA center body ready to bang with the big boys. There are going to be time Paul Reed, we've seen it already that he's not good at setting picks. he He's not. He's not a good screen setter. And that is part of, you know, that's that's important, especially with now with James Harden on the team. The other issue that I have is that I think there are going to be center matchups where you cannot play Paul Reed against some of these. Like, I don't trust Paul Reed defending Brook Lopez or boxing out Brook Lopez or like, you know, the the old like the thicker NBA centers. Like, yeah, he
2: guards Brook Lopez every time those teams play. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Like it's Joe. We've seen Paul Reed guard Giannis, and it went pretty well.
1: Okay, like, how do you think Paul Reed would do against Andre Jordan, DeAndre Jordan? I mean, not DeAndre Jordan, really well. uh, Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond.
2: Pretty well. I don't. If, so if Andre wouldn't Drummond punish him up. Is posting up and trying to like win that matchup. No, 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 no. I'm talking That's about like, on the offensive glass. Drummond would eat him alive. Drummond eats. And- most people, he would probably eat Bassie alive. Frankly, like, like uh, the Sixers are not going to fix the rebounding problem, but with either one of the backup fives. Well, no, the issue is at center. the four
1: spot. It, it's it's the four and three spots that don't rebound well enough. That's that's the issue. That's why you have to get Paul, uh, James Harden, and Tyrese Maxey getting like seven to ten boards a game. Because P- Tobias Harris, Georges Niang, Danny Green, and Matisse Thybul don't rebound well for their positions at all. But that being said, I just, I don't know. I,
2: I, I yeah, just, it, I, I like a more traditional. Players, right? yeah, 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 there's again, a case. We have to, see, we try both of them. That's the way you figure it out. Bassie can play and drop coverage, he can block shots, he's stronger, he sets better screens. Reid can switch. Reid can do stuff on the perimeter. Hit hit a couple threes. Like like there are different benefits to both guys. I
1: I, I, like, I would play. I I would be tempted to play them together in the future, Chris. To be honest. Uh, yeah, you no, you preaching to the choir. You play uh, as the, uh, play Reid as the backup four because guess what? He might be one of our better Giannis
2: defenders. Believe it or not. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Um like like the Jordan thing's not working. It hasn't worked and Paul Millsap's all. not going to work either. Let's be real. Neither one has worked. I don't know why Doc is loyal funniest. to
1: the man. It's one of Doc's biggest weaknesses. So so Bassi
0: got some love from ESPN and Chris tweeted that out and it got a lot of A lot of attention, a lot of tweets, retweets, likes. So clearly the fan base is loving Paul Bassey as an option, but somebody who calls the team.
2: Paul Bassey, my favorite center. Just combine them together. Like get one of those fusion machines from some old sci-fi movie.
1: See, I thought you were going to say the fusion cards from Yu-Gi-Oh! And I was about to nerd out majorly to you right there, Chris. But fair enough. We can do the sci-fi thing too. (laughs) Yes, that's right. I know Yu-Gi-Oh! I grew up with the cards. Don't judge me.
2: Except instead of a fly, it's Paul Reed and Charles Bassett.
1: I'm impressed that you know that movie. (laughs) Uh, Let's go ahead. We we all agreed that Jordan and Millsap should be at the bottom of the rotation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or
2: at least try the young guys and let them fail before you rule them out.
1: Actually, you know what? I like Charles Reed better than Paul Bassett.
2: <laughs> Paul Bass is the way to
1: go. Charles Reed, Charles man. Charles Reed, Chuck no. Reed. Mm-mm. Anyway, we're gonna go ahead and switch gears again, guys. We're we we talked about the center rotation, but we're really gonna dive into the the core four rotation. Yes, we're we if nobody else has already done it, we're, we're coining that as our phrase referring to the top four players on the Sixers, the core four. I like it, guys. I think it works really well. Um, the core four, of course, is Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris. They've been, what Doc has been trying to do recently, instead, when when the trade first happened, the rotations were pretty simple. Have either Joel or Harden, or at all times. That didn't always work out, though, especially when Harden started to revert back to his old Houston tendencies, which, as we've already talked about, he's not able to do anymore. Uh, efficiently so with that in mind doc tried something different and it worked uh me and chris are big fans of this he basically staggered Joel and harden on the court they're they're paired together now and then they also paired together tobias and maxi with the second unit chris what are your thoughts on that
2: well well to be clear he did that in the charlotte game he didn't do that in the Cleveland game
1: yeah and he's done it once before and I forget who yeah. it was against I think it was against was it against Phoenix or was it against Milwaukee
2: it was one of those games it's like the one thing he's actually tinkered with um I, I think there's a case both ways I, I think ultimately the best approach is probably to do the one of him beating her on the floor of the same uh, all times thing I, that's probably the safest bet um you know, James and Tobias have shown pretty decent chemistry lately. Maxi and Joel work well together. I I th- obviously the Harden, he can't like do the thirty seconds of dribbling Houston stuff, but I, I think a lot of people are kind of overblowing his struggles at this point. Like again, he's been mostly pretty good in Philly. Um, yeah, I, I I think Doc probably has this right for the most part keep two of them on the floor at the same time. It, it's can't go too wrong either way. Even if you do tether Joel and James, a lot of people are complaining complain about it being Maxi and Harris. But uh, again, if like earlier in the season, if Doc was playing Maxie and Harris, whenever Embiid sat, you know, the fans would be like coronating Doc is the new King of Philly. So I, I, I I don't have an issue. Those two guys can score and they can lift up those units. If you want to have James be in charge of those units, that's fine. That's probably the best for the sake of DeAndre Jordan. If you're going to insist on him being the backup center, then James is probably the guy who can get the most out of him. And Tobias has clearly shown chemistry. So that duo makes sense with DJ, but, yeah, I, I I mean, you got to keep two on the floor at the same time, at all times at least, or at least one of James and Joel. I, I think that's pretty simple. That's what he's been doing. I don't really have any complaints. It's worth trying different stuff, but I, I think we're generally in a pretty good place with that.
1: So I'm going to disagree with you, Chris. I think this is the ideal way to do it, and let me explain why. Let's go to Joel and Harden first. Harden, like you said, he had tendencies to go back to his – Rockets tendencies and I think being on a floor with another established all you know superstar and Joel keeps him accountable and you know helps him not revert back to that and let's be real Jordan's not the lob threat that he used to be and playing with Jordan probably actually hurts Harden's game at this point in his career so I think him playing with Joel all the time I think tethering the two together really helps because Joel all, always has an elite passer with him and then Harden always has somebody that can help elevate his game, so I think tethering those two would make sense. And then going on the Tobias and Maxi aspect of this, this allows those two to get going and being the first and second option respectively with the second unit. Maxi can get go to a score first mentality because he's going to be playing with Shake Milton. Shake Milton can be the facilitator, and I don't mind that, especially for short bursts. I, I don't think that's a terrible thing, so I, I'm all for it. To be honest with you guys, I'm I'm 100% in on it. I think that's what they need to do, so that they can get the best out of their core four, so that their core four all you, they don't feel like they're, you know, spreading themselves too thin all the time playing with you know another superstar. They're, those Maxi and Tobias are always going to defer to either Joel or Harden. But playing together, they're not going to you know, feel like they have to defer, and they can just hunt the mismatches and then get their shots off and get into a rhythm, which I think is more important.
0: I think the one thing that a lot of people are really concerned about with the rotation, obviously when Embiid sits and then we don't have a really good backup center for him, but it's also if we have a lead and we lose these leads – even leads that are like 15 or 20 points. We've seen it happen a lot. So I would say what, and Legs mentioned this too, even though I was already thinking of it, put Maxi on the bench. Make him your sixth man. So when Harden, right, let's say the Sixers have a five-point lead and Harden goes to the bench, at least now you have Maxian, in, who now is going to get more touches and more opportunities to
2: score. But- when Harden goes Guys. to the bench, Maxey stays in the game. That's how they've been doing it. The whole, That's how they've been setting it up. Maxi plays whenever Harden's not out there.
0: No, you're not You're not hearing me. For the first six minutes that they play together, all four, the four core, Maxi, since the honeymoon phase has ended, is not getting touches. He's not getting opportunities to shoot because Embiid, Harden, and Tobias, all $30 million contract players, are getting the bulk of offense. He's not getting touches. He's not getting good opportunities to shoot. So when he's mm-hmm. on the floor without Harden, he gets those opportunities to cook.
2: That's all I'm saying. Yes, I'm not saying he's he's uh, but... getting opportunities without Harden on the floor already. Like, yeah. They've set up the staggering. They're not playing all bench units with none of the guys in there. That's not happening. They've no, staggered but... it so that Embiid and Maxi play together and James and Tobias play together. Maxi's not playing with James. It, with it's not just Maxi
1: and James. It's not yeah. just Maxi and James. My, we, my, I don't even yeah, know. you're if we've right. Seen that
2: you're long. right. There's okay. obviously points where they
0: where they do play together throughout the game. But I'm saying that when you start, when they start the game together, like that first seven. Are minutes,
1: you are you are you arguing well, the fact that? Let me hang on, your Chris. Let me. Are you arguing the fact because Maxi doesn't get touches right away as soon as the game starts because of those other three? that it sets him up for failure for the rest of the game? Is that what you're 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 saying?
0: You're not maximizing what he brings to the team, which is being a score. So you bring him off the bench and you put Harden on the bench so that he gets those touches that Harden would get or those shots that Harden would get.
1: Okay, no, you're, you know you lost me there. They're doing it, that. It, that's
0: well,
2: the they, argument the that I was. They can't the do that because he, they're starting together. Off, off. Yes, but when Harden starting. goes to the bench at the six-minute mark in the first quarter, Maxi stays on the floor, and then at some and point, Maxi has, has to go to the bench, and that's and then when then Harden po- comes in. Yeah, that's
1: what you don't want. Me. You said that you don't want them sharing it until the, the end of the halves or end of right. The, exactly at the end of halves or the end of game.
2: So Maxi is getting double-digit shot attempts a game. Maxie is going to have to sacrifice for Joel and James. Maxie's the third, fourth guy each night. That's just what happens when you have four high-level players on the same team. He's not going to get the same level of shot attempts that he got before the trade. It's not going to happen. There's no way to do it correctly. You want your four best guys on the floor to start the game. If the Sixers had like a decent wing who could start in Maxie's place and defend, then you could like make a case, but they don't. All the bench guys are unreliable. None of them can defend or provide anything that Maxi doesn't why, already provide. That's why you bring Maxi off the bench. It, it's you not. No. You're, you're just making the starters worse and, and you're not accomplishing anything. You're not playing you're playing yeah, if anything, anything. You're, you're
1: losing Maxi minutes cuz you're not yeah. going to have the the 6 minutes that you have at the beginning
2: of the game. You're not adding that in the middle of the game cuz you're, you're saying, just giving Maxi minutes to like Danny Green. You yeah. how does that help anything? Like I said,
0: everyone's complaining about the bench and the bench being the worst entirely. None of entirely. them are really thinking
2: it through because that's they're they're already doing it. That's what staggering accomplishes. That they don't yeah. need to bring him off the bench. There's no reason for it.
0: I don't say problem with it, but
1: he's um, not Jamal Crawford Uriah. He can be. He's
0: he a second-year he player. We won't nah. know unless they try it.
2: We won't know. Nah. Stay tra- you but want him to be more than a sick man. You want Maxie to be an all-star until yeah.
0: until yeah. Well, until Harden is gone,
1: Maxie is in this role now.
0: You said, it but here's the thing: he if you see,
1: if you switch Maxie to this role now, he will never get out of this role for his career. Because Listen, that's, if he, guys, that's not matter,
0: it's not ass. a matter of who starts games, it's who finishes. I'm
1: not saying that
0: Maxi's going to be in the bench with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. I want him on that court with Harden and Embiid and Harris. I'm just Maxie. saying, to, when you're losing leads, it's because you have a weak bench in in that rotation. Yeah,
2: yes, He's
1: but the floor with right, those weak benches.
2: Those bench units are either playing; they're either losing a lead with. Tyrese and Joel on the floor, or they're losing it with James and Tobias on the floor. They're not losing it with an all bench group. Those guys are already out there when they're losing those leads.
1: It's, yeah, I'm with you, Chris. I'm with you.
2: Right? I, I don't. I don't think we're gonna.
1: I don't think we're gonna come to a <laughs> resolution on this one, guys. Maxie's playing <laughs> the best
2: I, basketball of his career next to James Harden. I, I Harden don't. are better. Yeah, He's not Chris getting Gordon? as many shot attempts every night. There are going to be nights where he gets the fourth most shots on the team. But there also are going to be nights like, I think, the Phoenix game where he takes the most shots on the team. It's going to be a give-and-take thing. Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade had to adjust to LeBron in Miami. It's not the same thing. But when you add multiple star players who need the ball, quote-unquote, to succeed, there's a give-and-take. And And some guys are going to have quieter nights and some guys are going to have louder nights. That's just how it is. But Maxi's not – Maxi's best role is probably as an off-ball player next to a guy like James Harden. So because you're right. You... The, the main ball handler who's doing all the playmaking. So, so
1: yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say Chris basically called Maxi a star already by saying that. By the way, just that's that's what I wanted to point out there. Mm-hmm. Sorry anyway guys i don't think we're gonna to come to a resolution uriah i mean chris we're not gonna change uh you know you can't teach an old dog new tricks and no offense to uriah we're not gonna be able to change your mind on this one man so we're gonna i think it's a good way to wrap up uh, on that note guys
2: okay uh to all our listeners as always thank you for tuning in to get another week's episode of the six or since podcast please like subscribe and follow along On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or at our website, thesixersense.com. Or you can read our written work. We are on Twitter at Sixersense and on Facebook at Sixersense. So until later in the week, everyone, stay tuned. We will have an awards ballot podcast in the very near future. That should be a fun one. I'm sure there will be plenty of arguing over picks that we all disagree with. Because there's no way we're going to agree on any of these things. So... Just stay tuned for that. It'll be a lot of fun. And until then, peace out. Have a good week.